Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Cares What's the Point, the podcast about the mind for people who think. This week, I'm speaking with Associate Professor in the Department of Gerontology in the School of Allied Health Professions at Virginia Commonwealth University in the USA. She is Tracy Gendron. Now, our conversation today is all about the language of ageism and why we need to use words carefully. Now, the demographics are very clear. There will be more older people in the world than at any other time in human history. And we're just at the beginning of that demographic bump. Yet the negative attitudes and stereotypes and judgments and assumptions regarding older people abound, as well as the recent conversations we've been having around gender equity and the language of racism and how all these cross over. Listen as I talk with Tracy about the program that the medical school has for making sure that their students get a good understanding of what older people may experience in their lives and how it is that they reflected their learning in their language and what that means. Thank you so much, Tracy, for for joining us today. Um, I wonder if we could start by you telling me a little bit about what inspired you to do this research in the first place. Absolutely. Well, first, thank you so much for reaching out and for having me talk about this important topic. Um, Here in gerontology, we have been well aware for 15 years or more that ageism is dangerous to your health and that the way that we feel about ourselves as aging people has consequences and very negative consequences, not only to our health and recovering from illness, but to our longevity. There's been a a study that was done about 15 years ago that shows that people that live, um, people who have positive feelings about their own aging live over seven years longer than people that fear or have negative feelings about their own aging. So I think that's really what inspired us to look at this topic is that we know that the consequences are very high, but sadly, most people really aren't aware of that. So when you couple that with the fact that ageism is the only ism that applies to everyone, it's universal because we're all aging and there's no such thing as a non-aging person. So when we realize that this is about each one of us, uh, this became really the focus of not only our research here in the Department of Gerontology at VCU, but to create a social movement to disrupt ageism, to become more aware of the language that we use and the way that we talk about ourselves as aging people. I think that's an excellent point that you make around how we're all aging and this is relevant to, to all of us, um, no matter yes. where we sit on that spectrum of, of age. Um, I think one of the points that you make in your paper is that the language of ageism is perhaps somewhat complex and not as obvious uh, as other types of isms that we may come across. I wonder if you might speak a little bit about that. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Ageism and or negative language about aging has become so normalized that it's become practically invisible. We are very used to being bombarded with negative images. Um, just the fact that we have an anti-aging industry that you know basically tells us it's shameful to look older, it's shameful to be older, is indicative of how invisible this has become. And with our language, we will very often use the word old as a pejorative or in a negative way and young in a positive way. 
when in fact we may not be meaning old or young at all. For example, if someone were to say she has a young spirit, what they really mean is energetic or engaged or lively. But we have been become so used to supplementing and using that word young to to replace that, um, that that's just become the standard or the norm. So what was fascinating about doing this study that that we did was that even as gerontologists and people that think about this all the time, even we hadn't thought as deeply about some of this language um, as we could have. And that was really unexpected and surprising for us. We learned a whole lot by going through this exercise ourselves about how deeply normalized this language is. Mm, uh, perhaps we can reflect upon that uh, and the impact of, on you of, of doing this research, perhaps towards the end. Um, one, one of the things, another thing that you pick up here is this difference or in some cases overlap between this externalized and internalized ageism, this idea that where um, older adults can discriminate and marginalize other older people too in internalized ageism. Can you talk a little bit more about th those two and how um, you were exploring those? Absolutely. So there's a lot of different forms of ageism. And what you're referring to externalized ageism is basically how we see us versus them. So how we we see older people in and of themselves, whereas internalized ageism is more about how we feel about ourselves as an aging person. And what we found is that um, many older adults, they very readily express both dissatisfaction with being an older adult and not wanting to categorize themselves as old. So even though they may acknowledge that chronologically I am 70 years old or 80 years old, I am not, quote, old. I am not one of those older people. That's an expression of internalized ageism, whereas we really don't want to identify with what we would call that outgroup. Right. Because being younger, acting younger, having more middle aged roles is considered more of the in group or what's, you know, what's valued, what we see as successful. So this internalized ageism came up quite a bit. And what's dangerous about it um, is not only that longevity piece that I talked about and that it has these negative health outcomes, but you're more likely to be socially isolated if you feel that way because you're missing opportunities to socialize with your peers when you're separating yourselves from them. Does sure. that make sense? It, it does. It does. And particularly if you um, add another uh, dimension of this to the mix in that some of this can be really implicit in that we're not aware that we're doing this. We're not uncovering um, the meaning behind what it is we mean when we say these things to ourselves. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So tell me about the specific study. What is it that you were looking to explore and how did you go about doing it? So I was running a program that we called the Senior Mentoring Program. And the Senior Mentoring Program matches first-year medical students that are here at VCU with older adults living in the community 
um, and they visit with each other three times over the course of a year just to, to talk and learn for each other, from each other. It's an opportunity for older adults to actually really mentor and provide feedback guidance to medical students. So after each visit with their senior mentor, I would have the medical students write a tweet about it. So 120 character statement that just reflected their learning. So after the first two visits, I was noticing there were just some really interesting tweets and we decided to do a thematic analysis of these tweets. So we looked at 354 tweets and examined each one to look for this language-based ageism. And as, as you said, m mostly unintentional language-based ageism. And we found about 13% that contain some form of language-based ageism. And so from that, we found eight different themes that described that language-based ageism. Sure. And, and, and they I kind of followed you, two pathways, didn't they? Uh, yes. The and we followed, exactly. And we followed two pathways this with that. So basically all of those, the 13% of the tweets had some kind of assumption or judgment in it. So it was some kind of broad generalization that was made about older people. So, for example, one of the tweets was older patients don't have many opportunities for touch. So just give hugs. So you can see just from that one statement, is it true that all older patients or older people don't have opportunities for touch? Is that true? Is that not true? Is that a broad generalization and assumption that we're making? So that was an example of kind of where it started. And then it went into one of two pathways. Either it went to something that represented more of internalized ageism, and that was when students were directly quoting their mentors. And you could see that they were talking about being old in a negative way. So one example of that was 76 years old. And when asked if she considers herself to be old, she says, nope, but then continues to talk about older residents as, quote, old people. So you can see that disconnect, mm. right, between I'm 76 years old, but I'm not old. Yeah. So there's that pejorative of what old means. So that was kind of one pathway with seeing how the older adults themselves were talking about what it meant to be an older person. And then the, the other pathway was building on those assumptions and judgments. And there was a lot of examples of seeing older people as different, different from other people. One quote was, my mentors made me realize the importance of treating the elderly with the same attitude and approach as for treating younger patients. So somehow they're, they're different than, than younger patients or younger people. We saw that use of old as a negative or a pejorative and that use of young as a positive. We saw um, some infantilizing language using sweetie or dear or aren't older people cute. We saw some of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, of course, we saw some great learning that people sh demonstrated that they met older people that actually really flipped that narrative for them of what an older person is and gave them that learning as well. So what was, again, most interesting is that this was all well-intentioned. All of these tweets were intended to show positive learning, and that's what made this such a powerful activity. What did the um, – I'll come back to some of the findings because I think some of them were worth um, looking at. But um, what did the students make of this study um, once they'd had their tweets analyzed and presented back to them uh, and perhaps discovering – 
that their language was unwittingly falling into the trap of expressing their unconscious, perhaps internalized, reflecting internalized ageism in the people that their mentors that they were talking to as well. What did, what did they make of this? That's a great question. Unfortunately, we didn't have the opportunity to present it directly back to the students. So we weren't able to do that. But I can tell you that from this, we've continued to do research about this topic. And we have crafted a 30 minute, one hour, an hour and 30 minute presentation that builds off of these findings that we give to students, that we give to community members, that uses some of these examples. And it's very, very thought provoking for people because they don't they don't realize that that's what they're saying. So to help them reframe is actually very powerful. So I'd wish we'd had the chance to talk to these particular students, but we never did get that opportunity. Did you get the chance to talk to the mentors? Um, Did they get any feedback around how it was that they were being talked about? Uh, We have. We had a reflection session with some of the mentors, and ultimately they really enjoyed their time with the students. They saw some of this, but... They didn't reflect on it too much. Again, I think it's so deeply embedded and normalized mm. that it, it becomes hard to to kind of step out of it and see it. Sure. Can I ask you what were the what was what was the age range of people who were participating as mentors and also the students as well? What what sort of gap are we talking about here? So we didn't get the information on the mentors themselves, but I would say it was probably seventies through nineties. And the age range of the students was 19 to 41 with a mean age of 24. Okay, okay. Um, and in terms of their own reflection, have they, um, have you, have you remained in contact with them? Did they, um, did they reflect on their, their own journey through, through this, through this process? Because I guess this is just one of many years that, that participate in this program. It is. And yes, I've stayed in contact with several of the mentors who have continued to participate year after year, um, who really feel like they have something to offer these young health professionals that are training to be doctors or nurses. Um, and they enjoy being in a mentorship role with a with a, an emerging physician. So, yes. And I have stayed in contact with many of the students, and it's great because year after year, they continue to invite me to come talk to new cohorts of students about this topic. And they, they seem to really want to pass this information along as they learn it to the, the new students that are coming to open their eyes to some of this this language bias. Sure. I, I just wanted to go back to some of the um, sort of themes that you you uncovered here and one of them was um these uncharacteristic characteristics the Mm -hmm. idea that somehow these behaviors were outside of the norm for an older person what what sort of Mm -hmm. um what was the sort of range of behaviors here that were seen as uncharacteristic yeah that was a really interesting one um and and that could range from someone being surprised that somebody was still cognitively able to have a conversation like, wow, this person is in their 90s and they're still sharp as a tack. That surprised me 
that they are still able to have a conversation and still communicate. So they saw that as a characteristic that was not the norm for somebody that was older. Um, to someone that was much more physically active than they anticipated. Um, and part of that, when you think about it, is medical students, nurses, health professionals in particular, are exposed to a subpopulation of older adults, right? They are exposed to people that are sick, that are more vulnerable, people that need their assistance. So it's much easier for them to see aging as vulnerability, because that's the population that they work with. So I think that's kind of where that uncharacteristic characteristic came out, is that, wow, not all older people are frail. As a matter of fact, there's a good portion of older people that are quite active. How unusual, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and I, I guess one of the things, um, when I look through the text that's um, in the paper, I sit there and I think, you know, tweets are only 140 characters long. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of compress quite a lot in that. Um, can you see any pros and cons? Because I guess, you know, I'm assuming that these um, students were social media literate, were perhaps used mm-hmm. to kind of compressing those thoughts um, into tight spaces in terms of the amount of characters that they had. Well, did you see or did you get any feedback around the actual modality that you used? Yeah, there. that was a really... Uh interesting choice to use the social media assignment. And I think it was very well received in part when you think about the curriculum for health professionals, it's pretty jam packed. So they have a lot of responsibilities already, a lot of writing, a lot of tests. So to add a longer reflection to write a page or two pages can be a bit onerous, but to ask someone to write a tweet and really condense their experience into 140 characters um, seemed to be much less overwhelming for folks. So they received it really well. And I think there's something to be said about being concise in how we say things. Um, you know, very often we, we don't get to talk in paragraphs. We get to say just a little bit to describe what it is that we're thinking. So I think that's good practice for us to be able to really start focusing in on saying what we mean, getting to the point. And for the medical students, it seemed to really be helpful for them to do the assignment, express how they were feeling in a way that wasn't overwhelming to them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that brevity is a good practice there. Yes. Um, it, it does remind me, when I was reading your work, I was thinking a little bit about Jamie Pennybacker's work. And um, his analysis that he's done on text and particularly the use of pronouns and how they can give away quite a lot about people's attitudes towards topics separate from the content of what it is that they're writing about. Have you thought about looking at the the texts using that lens? I think that would be fascinating and I would absolutely love to read more about that. Sure, sure. I'll maybe yeah. we'll talk a little bit about that. There's, there's lots of work yeah. that's gone on there. Um, so... I guess in terms of thinking about brevity and and utility of what it is that you've done here, um, who should care about this, Tracy? What what's the point here? What what's what's this driving for you? What are the take homes? Yeah, I think the take home is that everybody should care about this, and it it goes back to why we did this in the first place and why this is relevant. We are all aging, and the beautiful thing is that 
once you see yourself as somebody that is aging, um, you are already on, on the right path to embracing what lies ahead for you. Uh, it shows a pattern of how we see aging as a single story of decline and loss and that we pigeonhole ourselves and others into this story of decline when really elderhood has so much more to offer and we can shape what our elderhood can be. So everybody should care because it's about you. It's about you. It's about your community. It's about the people around you. And I hope that it empowers people to realize that they have a choice. They have a choice in how they want to age, how they set themselves up for aging, how they support people that are older, that want to continue to have purpose in their lives because we can all have purpose in our lives and we can all define for ourselves what success looks like as we age. So to get to that, though, we need to first think about how we see older people, how we see ourselves as an aging person, how we speak and think about what it means to be an older person and really examine that more deeply. And I think that is relevant for everybody, which is why this is so important, such an important topic. No, I, I do agree with you. I mean, you make the point in terms of the demographic changes that we're witnessing, that we're experiencing, uh, the increasing numbers of people who are eating, who are hitting that higher um, age group. But also, I think the interesting thing for me was that internalized ageism, that unconscious bias that older people themselves have when they talk about themselves or they view themselves, uh, mm-hmm. and, and perhaps making that more explicit then enables us to examine that together around what, what are the attitudes that we have that we apply to ourselves. Um, Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of attention given to youth uh, and discrimination and also gender. So I, th- I do think that it's time that we perhaps um, look more carefully at, at age. And I think that's valuable work. Did you, did you find any intersection perhaps with gender um, between the students and, and the mentors? Did they view did women view women differently or, or, or any other mixture or combination of the, the gender and age? That's a really great question. And I wasn't able to look at that in this particular study because we um, didn't have the assigned relationships, the gendered relationships. So I didn't know who it was that they were tweeting about. Um, but outside of this, yes, there is absolutely a relationship between between the isms and gender is certainly um, something that can either cause, you know, double jeopardy or triple jeopardy, let's say to be here in the States, to be a woman, an older woman that is African American. Mm. And you have three layers of prejudice that are against you to be just an older woman is two. So there are certainly very strong societal messages about what it means to age as an older woman versus being a man. Mm. Um, and it's, hyper visibility and invisibility all at the same time. There's a lot of shame associated with how women look as they age, needing to fight wrinkles, needing to cover gray hairs, um, needing to maintain certain body shapes. And while we do see some of that for men, it is certainly not at the the same extent that it is for women. Mm. So it it piles on. It does. And I guess 
if I'm thinking about the context in which you're doing this research, you're talking about um, student doctors who are mm-hmm. going to be in positions of power. And there is yes. also that power imbalance and that the power dynamic that also is ta- needs to be taken into account as well as um, the isms that we've been talking about too. Yes, that is absolutely essential. And that is the, the core of why I wanted to do this senior mentoring program was actually to shift that balance of power. So the mentoring program is is meant to have students sit in front of older adults and ask them for advice, right? Not, not do a physical assessment, not be a doctor, but actually hear from them what will make, make me a better doctor. What's the worst experience you've ever had? What what are things that you can tell me that I should do or, or not do? It was intended to switch that power balance. Mm. So that intentional... Um the, the intentionality of putting these student doctors in a position where they are seeking advice from older people then yes. enables that broader conversation of what does it mean to be you? What is your experience like? That's exactly right. Yes. And that piece of this worked really well. Well, that's great. And, and I guess that through the focus and lens of looking at the language of how people talk about each other. Although I guess a lot of people dismiss that as unimportant and it's the content that is important, the way in which we talk about each other, as you eloquently say in this paper, maps onto how we perceive each other through the lens of age, but also gender, but also power, which is what you aimed at here. Yes, lovely. That's that's exactly right. And ageism, are, we have another paper that's called relational ageism, um, is relational. It's something that exists not only on the individual level, but in that social space. And that's part of how we speak to each other and how we reinforce the messages that younger is preferred and older is bad. So that's that contagious nature of it as well. Yeah. My final uh, question was, um, did you have any analysis or any um, idea around how well these tweets were liked by others or retweeted by others? You know, what were the what were the messages or uh, the language that resonated such that other people endorsed it? That is a really great question. And most of these tweets, like 98 percent of them were actually not posted on Twitter. They were posted on a private site that we have. Um, the students were interested in maintaining their anonymity with this. So they chose not to actually post it on Twitter. So it didn't didn't go out that way. And I wasn't able to get that kind of assessment as to how well they were received. Sure. That, um, that would be an interesting thing, I think, in terms of it would. understanding the, the, the echoing and the amplification um, that's given to a certain form of words that people buy into or not. It is. And actually, that's kind of the, the essence of how you start a social movement. So you gave me a great idea for another study. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Hey, Tracy, thank you very much for, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. It has been a pleasure. joining us this week for that conversation please follow us on twitter 
That's at WCWTP or myself, Saab Johal, your host and producer at Saab, S-A-R-B. You can also find us on Facebook, Who Cares What's The Point, and WhoCaresWhat'sThePoint.com, where you can send us email, contact at WhoCaresWhat'sThePoint.com. You can also find us on iTunes and all other great podcast apps and platforms. Please do share. If you do find this episode, rate us, review us, help us spread the word about the show. But until next time, who cares? What's the point?